This is Paul from Daily Review. And this is Mike from Pop Culture Review. And together we're two-thirds of Pod Clubhouse. Pod Clubhouse. Tonight we are discussing the second episode of Avenue 5. And this one was called, And Then He's Gonna Shoot Off. Dot, dot, dot. Story by Armando Iannucci, Georgia Pritchett, and Will Smith. But not that Will Smith. I actually looked it up. This is not the Aladdin genie Will Smith. This is a writer who also worked with Armando Iannucci on Veep, Will Smith. So not the bad boy. Not the bad boy for life. He is more like the probably good person who writes TV shows version of that. Uh, Teleplay was by Georgia Pritchett and Will Smith, and it was directed by Natalie Bailey. I figured when I saw on um, IMDb that there was no picture in connection with Will Smith that it wasn't that Will Smith. Yes, this one is also from England. So unless it's just a really good deep fake by the Will Smith, uh, I think we're dealing with two different people here. Have you noticed that there's a fair amount of this production that is British? Uh, yes. Hugh Laurie is, but so is some of the producers. And Karen Kelly, uh, she's actually a British actress. Yeah. Is there anything to that? I, I don't know, but I did find something interesting. So uh, the woman who plays Mia, uh, that's Jessica St. Clair. She, she, Mia is Mia and Doug, the the annoying married married couple who fights apparently. Uh, okay. On that show. Uh, she is also being cast in Space Force, which is in pre production right now. It's interesting that she's doing this kind of British take on fun adventures in space with Avenue Five, but then doing Space Force, which I don't know if you remember when that was announced. It was announced, unfortunately or fortunately, right around the same time as Donald Trump uh, announced that he wanted to launch a Space Force military arm. And it's like a farce dealing with like a military space agency. So it feels like she is doing the British and American take on wackiness in space. So Okay. <laughs> That'll cover all her bases. All of her bases. And all space her, and, wackiness. And then she gets into uh, Russian space antics. Then then we know her agent is looking for very something very specific for her. So. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Uh, Armando Iannucci, though, is Scottish, actually, as it turns out. So... Yeah, Iannucci. Iannucci. Scottish. He is Scottish. He was, well, he was born in Scotland. He was born in Glasgow. That yeah, wasn't so. a direct route uh, for the <laughs> Iannucci clan, I don't think. Uh, they got stuck there in a boat some centuries ago. Very off-course boat. All right, so this one starts off right where the last one picks up. The crowd being led by Karen, Karen Kelly. Is this... This is a gag that I see myself getting kind of tired of, is her grabbing the golden microphone and forcing her way into every conversation everywhere at all times. I think you have that exactly right. I think that's exactly who she's going to be, and I think it's going to be really, really uh, super annoying after a short amount of time. Because she really you know, she really just seems kind of, she seems like a vacuum where she can step in and, as Iris calls her at the end, uh, a dictator. You know, she she's really just doing like the groundswell power grab here. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I think I think we're going to be stuck with Karen and her uh, overbearing uh, tendencies for a while as, as she forments rebellion on the ship. A lot of times, most times, uh, science fiction is often used as a as a vehicle to create some sort of commentary on something. 
you know, whether it's social things happening now or even just kind of technology or where technology meets social things like Black Mirror. Uh, sure. A, a like a, caution, a cautionary tale. This could be right. the future if you don't change your ways kind of thing. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really awesome at detecting that sort of thing unless it really hits you right over the head. But so far, my detectors are not really going off <laughs> with Avenue 5. I don't know. I, I, I can't detect what they might be commenting on exactly with this. Like this next scene where Billy is forced to try to explain what happens to be like the most cliche science fiction navigational technique, the old slingshot around right. the the, right. the big body thing i think my grandmother might be able to tell you what what a slingshot around the sun is going to do right but, it was uh, the plot device of star trek Four voyage home we have lived yes. with this with this idea for a while exactly and it comes up a lot in, in science fiction besides uh star trek uses it quite a bit besides just the, they, what they like a good slingshot well, but, you know, I mean, but I think it's got something, though, probably based in the gravity, you know, using gravitational force and, and oh, I'm sure. force and stuff. But, uh, yeah, it's surprising. Is, is it your point being that it's surprising that this group of people have such a hard time getting her concept? <laughs> yes, exactly. So when I mentioned social commentary and the show, is it possibly just sort of sort of like Wally uh, poked fun at the kind of the dimming, I guess, of society's flame? Is that what we're looking at with the crowd of gawkers <laughs> in in the belly of the ship? Well, I mean, I, I think there's something to that. I mean, the idea that uh, it looked like a, at least a plurality of people didn't know what the word propellant meant. Right. Um, and, you know, it's, it, what part of what I said was not in English. But um, <laughs> yeah. th the idea that it's a driverless ship, you know, I definitely like the little detail where the fake looking steering wheel on the bridge pops out and uh, Hugh Laurie grabs hold of it. Uh, mm -hmm. But we obviously know that he's not doing anything and everyone on the bridge are just kind of, you know, they've got their cliches that they're just kind of mouthing, but none of them are doing anything. They're all just beep booping and not actually doing anything. So there may be something to the dumbing of society because we've become reliant on technology. Next scene picks up with Judd and Iris and, and Matt and the, and the idea of needing to use the coffin for Joe. This was actually uh, a funnier scene than I was expecting. And it might be the injection of the Matt Spencer character into this with his with his quips. And I wrote it down something along the lines of classic Jesus. You mess oh with his money, the same thing. Yep. bucks you up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I actually wrote that down. I put a big star next to it. It was, it was like it was something that I hope catches on, catches on. People start saying that's a classic Jesus. <laughs> you know, uh, but, yes. you know, but I think Iris was actually pretty funny, too. You know, I think we saw a bit more developed and infinitely more cynical, darker Iris than the than the pilot episode. I noticed that, too. Her characters seem to take on a few more shades uh, than just sort of the, the bitchy toady from the first episode. Right. And, and I like this version a lot, lot more. She had a lot more edge and snark to her. And I am here for the snark and the sass always. I actually liked her a lot more. And so the two of them really tag teaming Judd in that meeting really, really worked for me. Uh, you know, she tells him that, uh, you know, it, it would be a good PR move to give dead Joe his, you know, his casket. 
I just like the idea that that she's thinking about it in like the business lines that this is good PR. Definitely donate your casket to him. The first um, few scenes having to do with mission control all revolve around needing to work with NASA in order to try to get the ship back. But then Judd screws up the whole thing by pissing NASA off and NASA just leaves. Did you notice in that scene that the NASA lady was using an iPad Pro as the as the device? As her, that, as her laptop of, of technology choice. <laughs> yes, that she wouldn't share the, the password on. I really like that. I like the idea that even, uh, by the way, this show is set 40 years in the future. Uh, since I, yeah, since last week, I did a little bit of research and uh, okay, yeah, and I, I saw I read it's actually on HBO's website. The show is set forty years in the future, so not quite as far as we thought it would be, and that is but within that range. Yeah, but in that range, but it is optimistic that you know within our lifetimes, you know, we'll be able to have disaster voyages in space. So I'm looking forward to that a lot. Me too. Me too. Uh, yeah, but no, yeah, I like I really like the idea of the password security. I thought that was really funny that that's still a thing even in the future. What did you think of Judd's quippy put down of NASA? Not anymore, stupid assholes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. Yeah, I found Judd a little funnier this time around. Than yes, the, less grating. Yes. Less grating. Yeah. Uh, I, I think across the board, other than Karen, but even in her own way, because the way people react about her, I found the whole show much more settled into what they think they want to be. And I found everyone much funnier because of it. But yeah, I found Judd still like obnoxious in his, you know, I am rich and so I know everything kind of idea of himself. But I found him funnier than annoying like I did last week. So back on the bridge, we meet a new guy, Cyrus, who um, immediately runs afoul of, of Billy since they're kind of competitors. It kind of reminded me of, remember Game of Thrones, Ma- Maester Pycelle, and then uh, Cersei finds a new guy. I forget his name, but, but yeah. he's... He's a yes man, basically. He's got only good news for, for Cersei. Yeah. That's kind of Cyrus in this with his six months. We didn't find out in this one whether or not six months is actually correct, right? No. And Mission Control could not come up with six months, and it was annoying Rav that uh, she couldn't get their numbers to match six months either. Uh, you know, she, she feels like they have enough big brains down there on the ground that they should be able to come up with that number also. I like that he comes from Cyrus. The Cyrus comes from a secret part of the ship where the dress code is insolent casual. I thought the line was pretty funny. Yes. And and the fact that you could see his knees, you find out later that Captain Ryan has a problem with his knees. Um, Not just just that they were out, but how they looked at all was was something he, he found bothersome. I, I want to go back to actually the NASA meeting for a second. When Rav is in there and she finally gets the password is entered and she looks at the number, she sees how much NASA wants to charge them for their help. And she says, is that the figure or the phone number that we called to get the figure? I thought that was a pretty funny line. <laughs> she's she's actually a pretty decent character. She's got to be stuffy and and in charge all at the same time as being you know in, in a comedy. So she gets the occasional funny line also you know at the beginning of the episode when uh the guy they're giving her like the options for what they can do uh with avenue five and you know they end up being no viable options and so she says so just the coffee then <laughs> you know <laughs> right yes <laughs> you, you've been completely useless to me at least you can get me coffee she's got a little bit more typical british humor like straight up british humor that isn't masked as, as american humor um, yeah. That's the sort of thing you'd expect on a, on a Britcom. So just the coffee thing. Oh, by the way, the uh, competitor for Master Picel, his name was Quiburn. 
the white bird. He yes. devils. He devils in like the necromancy and such. The disgraced maester. Right, right. The not quite maester. So, what do we think about Cyrus? Do we think Cyrus is actually? Uh, I think he's full of shit. You think he's full of shit, or you know, I, I yeah. that was my take too. I, my my money's with Billy. She seems like she actually knows what the hell she's doing, and maybe the only one who knows what the hell she's doing. She is the only real chance <laughs> that this ship has of ever getting back on course. Uh, not so great with the PR skills, though. They're probably she's probably right to keep the microphone, uh, a golden microphone, out of her hand. Uh, she doesn't seem like she has the best temperament. I think her and her and Captain Ryan can be a, a formidable team if he deals with talking to the people and she deals with figuring it out. Uh, something tells me they'll be able to get through it together. Pretty much the same deal he had with Joe. Yes, she could be his new Joe. Back in the uh, in the war room, uh, this this is another example of uh, Judd. I found him funnier. He was uh, poo-pooing some idea and he referred to uh, someone like a character in a Shakespeare movie. That just seemed, that was just a really funny, like a Shakespeare <laughs> right. movie. In, you know, yes. <laughs> uh, that's exactly who he is. And, you know, I, I like that. I, I like that they seem much more consistent with who he is. And so you know where to laugh at his jokes. And it all makes a lot more sense this uh, this week. I don't know that I'll go back and watch these episodes over again. But if I did, there'd be these, these little one-liners that just keep popping out from the last episode and this episode that, like I mentioned last time, really stand out and, and stand on their own. Like when uh, Karen tells Matt, I've had it with your tall attitude and your high mouth. Yes. Like, <laughs> what does that even mean? What does that even mean? Right, right. Or uh, Iris has uh, a problem is, not a, is just a solution without a solution. That, that's right out of a hang in there kind of poster, you know? Right, right. I also, I also like the idea that we've put on the table limiting, limiting the oxygen of the passengers as a barter to, to you know, set off lawsuits. You know, I, I, like, I really like the whole business side as they're trying to, or like, you know, Judd wants to uh, have, uh, what am I thinking of? You know, when you like snack, when you junk, like when you eat like, uh, when you eat your emotions. Oh, comfort food. Comfort food, right. He wants to ramp up the comfort food because people are going to are gonna, you know, buy more of that during the thing. You know, there, there's a really funny underlying current of the business aspect of running this disaster ship between Judd and Iris that I really appreciate because it's not focused on it. But again, it's just like this nice thing that we're settling into. That's like their relationship. They always kind of talk about business in one way or another. In the moment when uh, Doug and Mia are, are arguing again in the restaurant and the crowd lets them know that, in fact, everybody can hear them arguing at all times. Do you think the crowd is is standing in for you and me? <laughs> like, yes. uh, we get it, guys. You hate each other. There were a couple of times I had that exact thought that this character represents the audience. Uh, I very much the everyone chiming in around the restaurant, like the lady down the hall, I thought was really funny, or the lady like mm-hmm. down below with the service dog and her extraordinary hearing. Later on, I had the thought that Billy also stands in for us because she's like the truth speaker on the ship. Right. You know, yeah. She, she's she's the one shouting at the TV screen like, you're a fucking asshole. What is wrong with you? <laughs> That that scene also had another great line again from Matt when he said it was yep. the something about today's kind of Black Friday for mental health care for for emergency mental health care today was emergency the Black Friday me- of mental emergency mental health care yeah another great line yeah he really is he's like the funny guy you know I think like you said a lot there are a lot of one liners that are funny in the show he's the one who's intentionally being funny which is its own category I think on the show he's ordinarily funny but in the next scene the funeral when he oh, when he creates his own kind of version of, of Starman, David Bowie's Starman. As the, a, the Joe Taylor uh, version of Starman, as I uh, wrote it in my notes. 
uh, was very funny. Let the children boogie. I like that that was the line that he ended his uh, his version on. Let the children boogie. Did you also notice that he was wearing a yarmulke? I did notice that. I don't know why that made me laugh, but it made me laugh. You know, because sci-fi shows never have religion. Or they have their own. Or they have their own. Right, right, right. You know, like... There's no Catholicism or Judaism in the future in any sci-fi show. Star Trek, Star Wars. That's you know. true. I've never noticed that. You know, like it's, I, yeah. I, I turned on uh, Starship Troopers the other day, and I noticed. Uh, I remembered that um, Mormons figure into the to the plot there. Uh, that they're. If you, I don't know if you recall, but Mormons were out doing missionary work. <laughs> That's funny. I did not At, remember that. Yes, and and the and the arachnids attach attacked them and tore them up and all that kind of stuff. And so yeah, space Mormons. Uh, what did you, what did you think of everyone sporting the black armbands? I was kind of impressed that they were able to get that together so quickly for the funeral. Uh, well, know. that I mean, the, this funeral occurs. What is it later that same day? Yeah. For... yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that is impressive pulling it together that quickly. You know what I had a thought of while watching the funeral was what was the guest list like? Because not everyone on the ship obviously was in that room for the funeral, but there were passengers that were like, like uh, Karen and Frank were there. Why were they there? They didn't know Joe. They had right. no idea Joe existed. Why were they there? Well, uh, she wants to keep track of everything. So that, that might be that. But that's when we get the, the brilliant coffin orbiting the ship thing. Billy says, this thing is going to have a problem. And then they said, let's do it anyway. And then yep. it just starts slowly going around the ship. As a visual bit, it made me laugh out loud. But the idea, too, that the ship is so large that the heavy coffin is going to serve as a moon. When uh, Spike Martin says, it's going to be a moon on the ship. You know, like it really made me laugh out loud. I really thought that was funny. So last week we had, like I mentioned, the kind of the stakes of the show raised by killing a person. And this this week we killed three more people. They were faceless and, and nameless, but they were they're still dead and they still got a funeral. They weren't um, really faceless, actually, as it turned out, because we saw them pretty well in their transparent coffins. <laughs> that's exact. That's true. That's true. I should have said that, that we just didn't get any living screen time with them that we know of. That's right. I wonder if if they're going to keep killing people to kind of thin the thin the crowd, like because they've mentioned at some point during when they were talking about various rescue scenarios or whatever that that at least the people back at Mission Control kind of expect the population of the ship to dwindle the further they they get out in their in their timeline. So I wonder if they're going to make that happen. It is interesting, and with five thousand people on the ship, or I guess a little bit less than five thousand people on the ship now, you know, obviously they've got a lot of red shirts to choose from. Yeah. Um, the question is, they're going to have to run out of even transparent coffins at some point, so they're just going to start shooting people out of the little porthole. I guess I don't know. I don't know. Man, seems like a bad idea given uh, the way that the first four attempts have gone. <laughs> right, right. Which again, you know, this this show is uh, very much in the uh, the realm of repetition. To, you know, really brings home the joke. So we had mm -hmm. we had the one coffin. It's a now a, an orbiting the ship. Now we have three more. So now we have four dead bodies orbiting the ship like moons in varying state of zombiness. You know, then we had another gravity flux. You know, where everyone got thrown around with another gravity thing, which, uh, again, obviously happened last week. So the show definitely seems to want to reuse uh, the same gags. We had the twenty second, the 26-second delay again, like you predicted that that was going to become a recurring thing again. 
Did you see this sort of thing coming where Mia is trying to contact Rav back in Mission Control, somehow using the equivalent to a, to, to a phone, yep. and that going nowhere this week? So um, that means it's got to go somewhere sometime. I didn't really see this show as the kind of thing that would carry that thing over. And it, and it actually made me uh, look at the show under under a kinder light, I guess, was, you know, expecting, oh, now we can expect a more, you know, complex story out of this than just sort of episodically going down the story. It definitely makes it more credible as kind of a modern comedy versus a sitcom, which I appreciate that kind of sensibility. I, I think you're right. I mean, she can't keep dodging Mia's phone calls on her space iPhone, uh, mission control iPhone that she has in her hand forever. You know, she's definitely going to get through at some point. There are a couple of carryover, you know, developing possibilities. You know, at the end, you have Iris, you know, talking into her memo uh, where she says to open a file on Karen Kelly. And then she, you know, she, along with that, has several questions. You know, how long does dictatorships last uh, typically from the first chanting, which I thought was funny. <laughs> Yeah, so it definitely seems that they're, they're making threads that they're going to be able to pull at over the first uh, season, you know, the first eight episodes of the season. Well, and also including um, Iris, you have that chapel scene where Captain Ryan basically indicated that if Iris was interested, so is he. Right. That was a really interesting, that whole scene was very interesting. And then her little flashback memory. Where mm -hmm. She almost seemed like she was in a trance, but then that's like how the episode ends where she's chanting to herself, you know, pull through, Iris, pull through, you know, it was it was like a weird bit of character development. Um, mm -hmm. But it wasn't just for that one scene. Like I said, you know, we saw it again at the end of the episode. So I think that confirms that it's actually a part of the character that we're going to see, like that kind of resilience. So, again, another really good character development this week. I think that's actually a interesting and surprising sign of character development in this kind of show. I find it perplexing, like, uh, like, because you come into the show and you see recognizable faces in Hugh Laurie and, and Josh Gad, and kind of instantly the women who are kind of, uh, you know, ostensibly in their shadows as far as the show's concerned are actually the more important, more interesting, more fleshed out characters that you kind of want to know more about in Billy and, and Iris. Definitely. I, I think this episode for me, especially, they they both vaulted towards the front of uh, tell me more about them. Let me know more about them. And and honestly, Rav on Earth, I, you know, I really liked uh, I liked the whole interaction with the, the NASA scene in the little boardroom. Um, I liked her in Mission Control the couple of times we got to see her actually in the Mission Control Center. So I definitely agree with you. This show seems to be much more uh, seems to thrive much more when we're talking about them or following them around. Still not really sold on like the Mia Doug or the Frank and Karen <laughs> right, aspects yeah. of it. Well, it continues that, that theme that we mentioned in the first podcast where it wasn't what we expected and it's giving us something else. And so we're cr trying to figure out if we like that something else or if we really want the show to somehow miraculously turn into what we expected. And this is sort of that, where the commercials all have the recognizable actors in it, but I don't know that it's going to be their show by the time it's all done. I kind of I doubt it. Which is not an uncommon show bait and switch when you have a big star to a couple big stars that you know they're prominent at the beginning and then they kind of pull back and 
the maybe lesser known actors and actresses kind of shine through, you know, and I think with uh, Zach Woods's Matt, I think he's going to become definitely more of a breakout star than he even was with Silicon Valley because he is like the comedy relief. And then, you know, the, uh, the three female leads, not that Susie Nakamura isn't well known. I mean, she's been around for a while. She you know, like a long turn on Dr. Ken, but this is a much more high profile role for her um, as Iris. I think you're right. And I think it would be a smart move for the show based on what we have seen so far to point towards them because they definitely seem to be the more interesting uh, character so far. Matt Spencer, he kind of reminds me of Creed from The Office. <laughs> if they gave Cre- Creed more screen time, you might see this kind of stuff from, from Creed. He uh, A little bit of that. He actually re- reminded me a lot of the guy in Airplane who is uh, in, in the tower. Yes. But the one who's like up pulls the plug. You know, uh, he's the one who, like, grabs uh, the guy's belly and says, you know, so large, you know, that guy. Right. He reminds me of that. He kind of just pops in the screen, says something kind of wacky with, like, his tongue firmly in his cheek, and then, like, runs off screen again. I, but I like it, though. I mean, I, I happen to love Airplane. I happen to love that guy in Airplane. So that whole character arc really works for me. You know, he's going to give me my he's going to give me my laughs, um, my guaranteed laughs for the episode, it seems. Uh, I guess uh, my, my last funny line uh, that I want to mention is after the gravity shift and everybody lands, Judd is left in the kitchen and he calls for Iris and he says, come find me. I'm in chickens. I'm in the chickens. <laughs> right, because he can't get himself out. He's He has inverted, <laughs> his ass has become inverted in the chicken bin and uh, he cannot pull himself out. I, I like that too. That made me laugh. But I actually liked his more... Uh, when he was railing in the conference room and he says, uh, I'm the alpha and the beta. I really, I thought that was really funny because he said it with such conviction. He's an asshole, but he's a hundred percent committed to what he thinks is right. Oh yeah. He's all in. He's He's all all in. in. He's all in on how good he is. I, when you were talking about what is this show, maybe a, a message for the Judd character definitely seems to be a satire of people who equate wealth with intelligence I that, see. I wonder yeah. who that could be talking about. Oh, right, right. <laughs> a a, di- a dictatorial, uh, a fascist-like leader who makes decisions based on, you know, I don't know, social media posts or perceived slights and attacks on his honor. You know, the alpha, and you know, the, the typical alpha and beta, uh, you know, <laughs> right. Exactly, exactly. Uh, before we go, I actually wanted to, because you brought this up last week, and I noticed something now this week, so I want to, I think we can officially make a Game of Thrones reference corner. So, ah, okay. So last, so last week you pointed out, they mentioned the throne uh, mm-hmm. comment, and we, we were thinking about whether that was a Game of Thrones shout out. Uh, tonight at the funeral, when Captain Ryan is giving his eulogy, and he salutes at the end, he says to Joe, he says, your shift has ended. Uh-huh. Instead of your watch has ended, but I, yes. I I took that it very much pinged for me that particular phrasing, which is unnecessary really for him to say at all. Uh, it took to, it, it pinged for me being a Game of Thrones shout out. So right, because this is this isn't the military, and this is hardly even like these are people pretending that they're kind of in a navy sort of. Yeah, this is so, not even the Merchant Marines. This is he's right. just a, sh- a shitty, shitty fraud or something. I think that's what Iris calls him in a, in a uh, costume. Yes. You know? So anything yeah. ceremonial is completely a put on. You know, right. he cannot marry people. People, no. You know, if right. someone tries to get married on that ship, that will not be a legally binding marriage. Uh, just, just FYI, in case you're trying planning on going on Avenue Seven or Eight in the future. 
But uh, yeah, no, this felt much. This week felt much more like an HBO comedy to me. This show is a show I will be able to watch. And like you, I think I maybe not rewatch every episode, not yet anyway, but I would tune into the show every week and I will get 30 minutes of good laughs uh, if this is the show that we're going to get going forward. Any quick predictions for what to expect next week? <sighs> a couple more dead bodies. I think we're going to see the next stage of Karen's uh, revolt. Or rebellion, I feel like she's going to continue to organize and maybe try and actually formally oust leadership, maybe get a seat at the table, a seat in the conference room. Because right now, even with her being as nosy and pushy as she is, you know, she's not in the conference room yet on these decisions. Yeah, uh, I feel like that's coming, though, or at least her attempt to to make that happen. You know, she's going to be the uh, the union rep for the passengers, as it were. I think we'll see a little more Cyrus. I think this six-month thing with his own calculations, I think that's going to be a little like Baltar with his Cylon detector. Yeah. <laughs> just oh, that's a good show. Com- complete fiction that, yeah. <laughs> that just he wants attention and to stay relevant. So, you know, he it's, he at- it's either going to be that or it's going to be something like he didn't carry the one. Right. You know? And then he's going to be like, oh, I was so baked. You know, like it's going to it's going to be one or the other thing. It's going to be complete bullshit or it's going to be like something really stupid that has, you know, catastrophic effects or something like that. Otherwise, I like your your predictions because I don't see anything actually getting solved next week on either in mission control or in the ship. No, um, I suspect at some point we're going to have a serious discussion about the ability to feed some 5,000 people. Food rationing. Yeah, they really haven't gotten into rationing of services. Even at six months, a a cruise booked for eight weeks does not carry provisions to feed people for six months, let alone three years. There's either going to be some cannibalism or, you know, people are going to be eating like really stale potatoes. They're going to have to, you know, like the Martian or something. In fact, Judd seems insistent on selling everything he can at yeah. all times, yeah. you know. So, uh, speaking of that, the the little signs that play in the background are pretty funny. Having the captain say, "Why don't you have a pancake breakfast?" or whatever that one says. Yeah, he says. Uh, uh, he's like, "Don't why don't you get some pancakes?" I know I do. You know, something right. like that. It was really funny. Yep. I forget the one, but Matt had one too, and it was um, it it was something like, "If you love shrimp." Be sure to come, you know, for the for oh, to the, the buffet, the seafood yeah. restaurant buffet. But if you're allergic, you should not come in the restaurant. Seriously, you should stay away from the restaurant. <laughs> or in the funeral, uh, when Judd steps forward and he and he's he's acting like he's not Herbin Judd, owner of the of the ship, but over his shoulder is a like one of the electronic billboards talking about how like with his picture on it and be like this is judd's world you know like there's like this i am judd i own everything here as he's talking about how he's just kind of a, a concerned citizen on the ship uh mm-hmm. the funeral so yeah they're they're actually really well well done and, and pretty funny we will pick up again next week for episode three this is uh paul from daily review this is mike from pop culture review And we'll catch you next time. Thanks a lot. Bye. Join us on our new venture called Pod Clubhouse. Come on over and listen to more podcasts from a variety of collaborating podcasters. Pod Clubhouse.